lighter skin in vitiligo patients mm-hmm. um, is really susceptible to burning. Yeah. So it, it can't produce pigment and therefore it can't even tan. Of course. So the light skin burns really easily yeah. um, and it's really prone to damage from the sun. Hey Refam, my name's Kate and welcome back to Keeping It Real, the podcast prescribing prevention. Pigmentation is a hell of a beast. You got your hypers, your hypos, you're genetically inherited. You've got pigmentation caused by hormonal fluctuations, sun exposure, inflammation, aging, and even medications. That is to say, pigmentation is something we'll all probably experience at some point. So I've brought Remedispa's dermal clinician Sophia on the pod to talk prevention techniques, treatment options, and what causes pigmentation to begin with. Welcome, Sophia. So today we're going to talk about pigmentation, uh, which is actually a phrase which covers quite a broad spectrum of conditions. Um, from and I'm sure people have heard the terms like hyperpigmentation, hypopigmentation, melasmas, all the rest of it. Um, so I think it'd be really good today if we just broke that down a bit more as to what it all means um, and how kind of severe it is and how to prevent it as well. So I guess firstly, what is pigment? So um, when, we're talk- when we're thinking about how pigment is produced in the skin, um, I'd like you to envision a starfish. This is your analogy. Yeah. Um, and that starfish is called a melanocyte. Cyte is another word for cell. Melanin is a word for pigment. So mm-hmm. pigment cell. Um, pigment is produced in the centre of this starfish and then it travels from the centre to the legs of the starfish, mm-hmm. right, in tiny little capsules, which yeah. are called melanosomes. Um, And once it's ready, the starfish essentially lets go of these little capsules and transfers it over to the skin cell, which is called the keratinocyte. And that's where pigment is kept and travels up to the surface Mm -hmm. of the skin. And that's what gives your skin colour. Right. So that's how pigment is produced. Fascinating. And so like when you're... I know obviously tanning is skin cells in trauma, as we all do. Um, So is that... Like, does that also is that produced also from pigment, or is that uh, they differently affected tanning? Yeah, yeah. So like when you get so when you're in the sun and your mm-hmm. skin gets darker, mm-hmm. does so that's your pigment? Yeah, same mechanism. Yeah, of um, it's just that the the sun might stimulate more of that pigment production, and, yeah, okay. and the UV radiation might. So it's an accelerated production of pigment. Yeah, perfect. Okay, I think the starfish is a perfect analogy. Right. All right, so um, like I kind of said at the top, there's different types of pigmentation. So I guess what's the difference between hyperpigmentation and hypopigmentation? Um, So at a basic level, hypopigmentation is a lack of pigment in a a localised or a larger area and hyper is an increased um, production of pigment in an area. Or yeah, appearance right. of pigment. So what would kind of some real world examples of that be that people? Um, so commonly and seen a lot, um, you know, on Instagram and in the media, uh, a common condition that is caused by hypopigmentation or that um, involves hyperpigmentation is vitiligo. Mm-hmm. So um, if we think of that gorgeous model, Winnie Harlow, yeah. vitiligo. Um, so she has um, lighter patches, um, on a, a lovely darker canvas of skin um, and that is essentially caused by disrupted melanocyte um, activity. Yeah. So that melanocyte, that starfish, isn't acting in the way that it should um, and it can't produce pigment. Yeah, right. 
Yeah, and then that and that obviously her case and I mean Michael Jackson said he had it whether he did That's or not right. is to be believed um but you know it obviously that's a really stark contrast um and obviously because mm. she's black yes but um you know white people can also have it and like and it it might not seem as jarring obviously because it's just oh is that the right word it might not be as obvious yes um but you know people will still have little specks and it might not be all over your body right like it could just be in just one particular section and not anywhere else? Well, it's a systemic autoimmune condition. So technically it could occur anywhere Mm -hmm. and sometimes all over. Um, And sometimes you're right, it's localised. And in lighter skin types, you make a good point, it is less noticeable and oftentimes it'll be diagnosed after warm months when when lighter skin people have been in the sun and their non-vitiligo skin or their, their... normal skin colour, um, becomes darker. And so the lighter patches become more obvious. And that's when they do realise that they have vitiligo. Yeah. Yeah. I used to work at a dermatologist. And so we'd have our vitiligo patients come in three days a week and they'd get um, zapped in. Phototherapy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then so, but like we're talking 10 seconds. We're not talking 10 embeds people. Yeah. We're talking 10 seconds. And I think they would really build up to that. So they'd come in three times a week and they'd build up to, being in there for 10 seconds at a time yeah, um, and just get zapped. It's just short bursts of really high energy. Yeah. Yeah, because the lightest the, the lightest skin in vitiligo um, patients, mm-hmm. in people with vitiligo, um, is really susceptible to burning. Yeah. So it, it can't produce pigment and therefore it can't even tan. Oh, of course. So the light skin burns really easily yeah. um, and it's really prone to damage from the sun. So it has to either... With the short burst phototherapy, I believe it's like long wave, non-damaging um, UV mm-hmm. radiation. Yeah. And therefore it does need to be short bursts, but at a really high energy so that it's effective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise it, it wouldn't do much at all. Yeah. Well, I think as well, because that was kind of, this was obviously only for people with incredibly severe um, vitiligo mm. um, because then there's a lot of steps and they would end up, uh, on this medication, mm-hmm. but because the medication couldn't, you know, it was like really, really strong. I could Oral like, or topical? I think it would, I think like they'd work their way through. Mm-hmm. So it would like start topical and oral. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you kind of had to prove at each step that it wasn't helping the process. Right. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. with phototherapy, they, they'll try and then they'll wait to see if there's a reaction because the heat can sometimes even um, trigger more lighter yeah, patches. Right. Yeah, it can trigger the process. So they have to treat and then wait. Yeah. Um, and it's the same with melasma, mm-hmm. which is a hyperpigmentary condition. Yeah. Um, so what are melasmas? Uh, melasma uh, is a condition that is um, highly genetically linked. So mm-hmm. a lot of the patients that I see will be um, predisposed. Um, and I think this the stat is um, 60% of people with melasma have a family history of melasma. Um, so that's one of the first things you ask um, patients with melasma if it occurs in their family. And usually, usually they'll say, yeah, my mum had it or my, my granny or my auntie mm-hmm. has it. Um, melasma itself is, um, again, a pigmentary uh, disorder or condition where patches of this, the face um, appear darker and it's oftentimes really symmetrical. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's a really one of the telltale signs. It's not always symmetrical because it can also be on the forehead, but mm-hmm. if a patient says, oh, look, I have a really dark patch on my cheek, I'll often, if it looks a bit like melasma, I'll often just look at the other cheek. And is it always on the face? Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And is it when you say hyperpigmented, would that, I mean, 
it might be different between people, but is it like more red or is it more brown? Yeah, it's brown mm-hmm. um, and in different skin types it might appear – so in darker skin types it might appear more greyish. Gotcha. Um, but generally, yes, it is a brown colour and it's most common in um, a Fitzpatrick 3 and 4. So we're talking okay. Mediterranean, uh, Middle Eastern. Yeah. Um, in lighter skins it's not quite as common mm-hmm. and in darker skins it's not quite as common. Wow, fascinating. Yes. So how can you tell – like? Um, this might be a naive question, but you know, obviously people have like birthmarks that will take up their whole face. So how can you kind of tell between, I mean, obviously a birthmark, you get a birth, but like what's a kind of telltale sign of a melasma? Right. Um, and you're not wrong. Sometimes birthmarks can look a lot like melasma because it's the, just the distribution of pigment in their skin. It, a really good way to assess whether a patient has um, a pigmentary disorder, specifically melasma, is to get a good family history and to really ask them about um, hormonal changes, um, medications, whether they've been in the sun a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Not that the sun would cause melasma, but it can trigger it. Okay. So... A good way to assess it, um, it can be – melasma is a tricky one because it can be epidermal, so really superficial, and it can occur in the centre of the skin, which is dermal, mm-hmm. and then a bit deeper or, or mixed. Mm-hmm. Um, and the dermal is a little bit harder to detect under um, a blue light, yeah. whereas with epidermal melasma, I can usually um, – I can definitely see a, a well-demarcated um, pigmentary patch under the light. Yeah, right. Um, but, yes uh, – general background, history, what are their triggers, um, any hormonal changes, medications they might be on, and um, a family history. And once it flares up, yes, does it go away? Like is it is it prone to triggers in that way or once it's flared up, it's on your face? Well, melasma is known as um, like a chronic condition in mm-hmm. that it's long-lasting. Yeah. Um, it's hard to get rid of. In fact, I believe we cannot get rid of it Mm -hmm. and it's really well managed in that we can find ways to stop it from getting darker or we can um, pinpoint triggers and make sure that they're minimised, lifestyle triggers or otherwise. Um, And once it does flare up, um, there are ways with um, topical treatments or light treatments or otherwise to um, help minimise its intensity. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, and a lot of the times... um, in the past, melasma has been known to be treated with IPL and lasers, mm-hmm. but they found that over time, once you treat it with a laser and it disappears, it will return. Whether that's like 10, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 years later, it, yeah. it reappears and usually worse. Got you. So even in lighter skin types that, um, that can tolerate IPL and lasers really well without mm-hmm. the risk of uh, side effects, mm-hmm. it's not recommended to treat melasma um, with lasers extensively anymore. If it's yeah, an right. epidermal melasma and we can reduce the pigment on the skin, yeah. um, it's safe. But generally, um, topical treatments and protections like the best fundamental mm-hmm. ways to manage melasma. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but like what are you know whatever people guess have birthmarks everywhere yeah is that a form of pigmentation why do people have birthmarks do you know that um um birthmark so yeah if we're talking about pigment pigmented lesions yeah um there are a few like key types like if we're talking about beauty spots Mm -hmm. they're called nevi or Mm -hmm. melanocytic nevi so dark spots mm-hmm. um and then we have uh, like a seborrheic keratosis which is just basically those larger larger spots that are lumpy and chunky yeah 
Ugh. They're called Seb yeah. K's. <laughs> <laughs> Chunky is a great word yeah. to describe Chunky's them. I know. Yeah. And then we have um, a solar lens tiger, which is basically those larger spots, but they're flat and light. Okay. Now, Would that be like a sunspot? Exactly. Okay. Solar. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, oh, and a lot of them. Nice. <laughs> um, Don't mind me. She's Latin. Most pigmentary, most pigmentary um, conditions or um, lesions are caused by chronic uv radiation mm -hmm. exposure yeah um so a lot of the times um that's one of the signs like how did it get there if it's in areas like on the trunk or on the face or on the neck we mm -hmm. usually know it's as a result of chronic sun exposure yeah. and that is also why lesions will appear later on in life mm -hmm. because of like ask your mum or ask my mum yeah how did you treat your skin when you were younger and um and then we understand exactly why their skin is pigmented in, in the yeah. way that it is hopefully in 30 or 40 years our generation won't be so badly pigmented because we've slip slop slapped our whole lives yeah my mum's always like because i'm like i love my freckles and mum's like there's gonna be sunspots when you're older yeah she's like i used to have freckles <laughs> thanks mom <laughs> Sorry, so just back to birthmarks. Okay. Do you know if there, that is one? Um, if what is one? Like if a that's... A form of pigmentation? Yeah. Well, um, I was actually looking up congenital nevi. Mm. If you look up congenital melanocytic nevi, you'll see that congenital, congenital um, indicates that it's something someone is born with. Yeah. And um, it is a form of pigmentation that can cover massive portions of the body now we could consider that a birthmark because someone is mm. born with it but um birthmarks specifically i can't tell you much about well tell I me, it, so tell let me, me. Tell you. <laughs> educate me um people have birthmarks they're va vascular birthmarks oh but that'd be like a like a port wine stain would be a vascular one absolutely it? yes so that happens when blood vessels don't form correctly mm -hmm. either there are too many of them or they're wider than usual Pigmented birthmarks are caused by an overgrowth of the cells that create pigment in skin. Mm -hmm. So there you go. There. We know that. I'm a starfish. Dear listener, I'm asking this because I have a birthmark on my face. So I'm like, oh, interesting. This one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah. Well, um, that looks like a um, a solar lentigo. Yeah. That's exactly what a sunspot would appear as. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, and it used to look very big on my little three-year-old face. Of course. My face got bigger, so <laughs> we're okay now. Um yeah, okay, and then other they're just saying birthmarks refer to skin spots that are apparent at birth or shortly afterwards. Right. So, yeah, it's also just hyperpigmentation. Mm -hmm. um, just I'm, with you from the get-go. Yeah, and I'm now just learning that not everybody has a birthmark. Interesting. Well, some some people say that everyone has a birthmark, you just haven't discovered it yet. I'm yet to find mine. Oh, interesting. Um, but I'd say look for your birthmark after summer because once your skin's tanned, any birthmark you might have will be a little bit more obvious. Oh, really? Do you know what if it's brown and then my skin gets more brown? They'll both get more brown. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Do birthmarks running family? Sorry, I'm really going off here, but this is fascinating. I didn't know people didn't have birthmarks. Oh, well, you know. Um, okay, so back on track. Okay. Um, okay, so that's the difference between hyperpigmentation. Hypopigmentation is, yeah, that like, so vitiligo, you'll have white spots on your skin. Mm -hmm. Melasma, you'll have brown spots. Well, also, mm. I'd like to touch briefly on post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation because yeah. that is something that's very relevant to um, what we do as dermal clinicians, but also in the Medispa. Mm -hmm. A lot of people will come to me and say, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a darker skin type or I'm really good at making pigment. Um, and <laughs> that's how I describe it. I'm a pro-pigment maker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Pro pigment maker. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's in anything that's in any skin type that's higher than a fit three, mm-hmm. we're really great at making pigment. We yeah, just yeah. have certain triggers that are quite strong. Okay. And um, anything that involves inflammation, so treatments with laser or treatments with needling or sun exposure or, or surgery where mm-hmm. we've made incisions, um, they're markers for hyperpigmentation specifically post-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. So um, that's really a big part of my assessment process is um, asking patients what how they react when they've been in the sun for a long time or how their skin heals after they've scratched it. Mm-hmm. I have really superficial um, uh, trauma, inverted mm-hmm. commas, from, say, a burn with a straightener or a really light scratch that have just stayed on my skin for two, three years. Yeah. And then other areas where it's been quite a deep cut where you can't mm-hmm. even tell it, um, it has experienced trauma. Mm-hmm. So um, that would be a, a red flag for mm-hmm. any treatment that would induce inflammation because it might result in um, hyperpigmentation in that area. So when I am treating people with melasma with um, inflammatory inducing uh, treatments, I have to be really careful, one, that their skin is prepped um, and two, that I start off really modest and and um, conduct patch tests to make sure that there isn't going to be a, a pigmentary um, reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because your body makes pigment really as a defense mechanism. So. Um, melanin, as we were speaking about before, about melanocytes. Yeah. So they literally live around your nucleus. So they yeah. protect your DNA. So think of it as when they're transferred from the starfish into the skin cell, they travel straight to the DNA of the skin cell and they protect it. Mm-hmm. And um, any uh, any trauma that might occur to your skin cell, the melanin acts as a defense for that. And so when it does experience trauma, your body might create more pigment in order to um, to lessen that trauma or to lessen the damage caused by that trauma. Right. Does that make sense? No, that makes heaps of sense. Okay. I was just thinking about how I'm like, I've burnt myself with a curler and it was like, it, it was so bad for, I was like, is this ever going away? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I do. I do know what you mean. That's funny. I didn't realize that it was just like certain skin types that happen too. Well, yeah. Look, if you're like I said before, if you're really good at making pigment, um, you are more prone to uh, hyperpigmentation, especially post-inflammatory. Got you. Oh, fascinating. Okay, so um, we obviously know kind of that end of it. Are there other people? who are more, I mean, obviously vitiligo, melasma Mm -hmm. um, are their own kind of thing, but just in terms of general um, hyper or hypopigmentation, are there any kind of triggers or people that are more susceptible to get it? Yeah, absolutely. So um, a Fitzpatrick skin type, so just to briefly and quickly touch on that, uh, the the Fitzpatrick skin type scale um, grades your susceptibility to burning and your reaction to the sun based on the makeup of your skin takes into account genetics and your ability to produce pigment. So the the Fitzpatrick number one is a really um, fair skin, very little pigment, um, blonde, blue-eyed or red hair with freckles. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a Fitz one. And then the Fitz six is your, your deepest skin type, African skin, um, highly melanated skin. And so, so between one and six is a range of skin types and ethnicities. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
a skin type that is great at producing pigment is assumedly from a three upward um, and hyperpigmentation occurs mainly in skins that are three, four and sometimes – yeah, and five, mm-hmm. but mainly three and four because it, sh- it shows more. Our skin's a little bit lighter, but it's also really great at making pigment. Yeah, right. Got you. And um, what other kind of people – like what other – what are other triggers for um, hyper or hypopigmentation? Um, there are a few. It's pretty complex, mm-hmm. um, but it's common throughout hyperpigmentary disorders in general mm-hmm. and hyperpigmentation. Um, so we look at things like family history, as we mentioned previously, um, uh, hormonal changes, medication can bring about hyperpigmentation, um, things like a strong antibiotics um, or like antiviral medication um, or, or cancer, like chemo medications, really strong systemic meds mm-hmm. um, and changes in hormones due to pregnancy. Um, a lot of the time, a lot of women, so melasma, for example, is um, diagnosed really frequently between the age of 30 and 40. Mm-hmm. And that's because a lot of the time that's when women are um, getting pregnant and having babies and that'll be a trigger for them. Um, a lot to do with a spike in estrogen and changes in hormonal balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and cloasma is a specific type of melasma that occurs during pregnancy. Um, so a lot of the time it'll come and go. As the hormone levels um, even out, um, the melasma will fade. Oh, okay. There's even a form of um, – it's called linear negra, which basically means black line mm-hmm. that goes from the middle of the sternum oh, all the way yeah. down the belly to the pubic line. Yeah. Um, and that's, again, due to a, a change in hormonal ba- uh, uh, balance. Yeah. I've had friends who have had that. Right. And then yeah. it goes away after they've had the baby and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it will remain and, and fade gradually. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it won't. And then um, I also saw quite a lot of stuff about acne and how that would lead to it. So is that because of hormones? Is that because of um, treatments for acne? Right. Uh, a mixture of things. Mm-hmm. So um, one, hyper post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. Acne is um, notoriously an inflammatory condition. Mm-hmm. So um, and as we just learned, anywhere where inflammation occurs, pigmentation can occur. It's the same with um, – psoriasis and eczema yeah inflammatory conditions so um the skin will heal like it does from acne or from um any other inflammatory skin condition and leave pigmentation behind Mm -hmm. um and it is a mark of something having occurred in that area of Mm -hmm. the body previous to that pigmentation if that yeah. makes sense yeah, yeah. so sometimes people will come to me and i'll see patches of like dark patches on their chest or dark patches on their back or even on their elbows mm-hmm. um and i'll ask them did you have psoriasis did you have eczema and a lot of the time it'll be yes right, inner elbows you. is common and behind yeah. the knees are there ways to prevent pigmentation um the key ways so due to the fact that UV radiation is like the number one exacerbator of anything pigmentary, mm-hmm. um, let's first and foremost protect ourselves from the sun, yep. not extensively or... Um, or um, you don't have to have 
be in full garb under a tent. No, and a lot of people have been asking me because they come and see me for their skin and they say, I've mm-hmm. read so much about um, the fact that we shouldn't cover our skin in SPF all day, every day. Um, mm-hmm. And in fact, SPF can be um, is known as a carcinogenic and I haven't done extensive research on that topic, so I can't say for sure. But what I do know is the sun is a carcinogenic. Yeah. So we do know that more Australians die of skin cancer right. than anything else. So That's right. And basal cell carcinomas are the... Are the Number one skin cancer, yeah. and they occur all commonly in Australia, especially mm. on areas that, and particularly in areas that have been exposed to the sun. Yeah. Um. So. And everybody, once you get one BCC, let me tell you, you'll be getting at least one a year cut off for the rest of your life. You're at higher risk, and you're at higher risk of SCC mm. once you've had a BCC. Yeah. And SCC is the one that can metastasize and squamous cell carcinoma. Yes. Yeah. If you have an understanding of all the triggers of pigmentation, you can um, easily manage it. So, you know, wear your SPF, especially on your face every day, if not for the safety of your skin, just so that you're not running to your derm every yeah. <laughs> every month, every week, trying to They're find expensive. a cure for it. Those, yeah. little, those little surgeries. <laughs> those many spas, I yeah, tell you. Exactly that. Um, uh, and what else can we do to prevent um, topicals? So antioxidant-rich um, creams um, or serums um, a real popular one and something that people like using in general is a vitamin c mm-hmm. um, so l-ascorbic acids are really potent antioxidant um, so it can protect your skin from damage that is caused by uv radiation yeah um, so like if someone comes to see you you put them under the uv you'd recommend like popping on a vitamin c absolutely after. yep all the time um, and that's good for everybody it's good for everybody who's outside, which a lot of us are. Um, and as well as I'll always put them on a vitamin C and an SPF generally if they come to me and say, I don't use any skincare, I'm prone to pigment, what can I do? It's always a, a cleanser, a vitamin C and an SPF first and foremost. Um, there are other antioxidant, um, popular antioxidants, like vitamin E is a really um, potent antioxidant. There's another called ferulic acid, which is a potent antioxidant. Okay, and then, so they're good preventatives. What about um, some treatments? Um, Treatments are, as we said, we have to be really careful with treatment because anything heat-based can trigger more pigment. Mm -hmm. So we have to start off um, um, very conservatively and conduct patch tests and definitely prep the skin. So remember how we were talking about that starfish, Mm -hmm. that um, melanocyte, what triggers its activity is an enzyme called tyrosinase. Mm -hmm. So tyrosinase is what excites the the melanocyte to produce pigment. Mm -hmm. So when I say prep the skin, I'm talking about a product that has a tyrosinase inhibitor in it. Mm -hmm. And um, there are many active ingredients that are tyrosinase inhibitors. Vitamin C is a tyrosinase inhibitor. Our our product Remove, that's a tyrosinase inhibitor. So when I prep the skin of a patient who wants treatment, who's prone to hyperpigmentation, I'll always put them on a tyrosinase inhibitor for four to six weeks before they see me. And then when I do treat them, what I've done is I've, I've, lowered the risk of hyperpigmentation by slowing down the activity of the melanocyte in that area. 
right? Okay, cool. So um, when I'm talking, when I'm considering treatments, um, bringing it back to your question, when I'm considering treatments that um, may induce hyperpigmentation, like peels, like lasers, like needling, um, I want to make sure the skin's really well prepped, and I want to start off um, quite with quite mild treatment to assure that I'm not going to trigger any um, adverse effect. Mm. Perfect. Are there any other treatments? LED is a good treatment, not specifically to remove pigment, Mm -hmm. but to ease the effects of inflammation. So Mm -hmm. if something's anti-inflammatory, it's really going to help slow down the production of pigment because pigment's being produced in reaction to the inflammation. Yeah, right, okay. So that's why with any of our treatments, I'll generally just add an LED onto it Mm -hmm. because I'm definitely going to produce inflammation in that area. Um, And in order to um, slow down any um, adverse events specifically, pigment in that area um i want to reduce the inflammation so led is a great way to do that really um quickly Mm -hmm. um, and in a very effective way perfect i'm about to go hook up to the led i know it's so good (laughs) (laughs) it's one of my favorites i add it onto everything if you liked this episode of keeping it real please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts And while you're there, why don't you have a flick through our past episodes? We'd love to hear your requests for future topics. So send your suggestions through to us on IG at Replastic Surgery. That's all for today. And we'll catch you next time for another peek into the world of plastic surgery.